You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 197, The Mr. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is January 21st, 2021. And I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about the Mr. FPGA computer. Now, I wrote this week's show notes using the Commodore 64 core located on the Mr. So as I retrieve those, and it'll take a minute to load because there's a lot of notes this week, we'll have a little bit of time to chat during this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. If you haven't been checking the YouTube channel, that is youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming, there are several new videos up. Uh, last week I played Tetris Attack on the Super Nintendo. That is a classic game. And I showed off, I took a break during the middle of the gameplay and I showed off some of my old. Super Nintendo console copiers. As some of you know, I have a quite a collection of console copiers. Those were old, normally floppy-based until uh, you got to around Nintendo 64. Prior to that, though, they were mostly floppy disk-based uh, devices that you could plug into a console or attach to a console, and you could use those to make backups of cartridges onto floppy disks or, in many cases, download the ROMs, copy those two floppy disks, and then load them into the console copier and play them on the original hardware. And so I have uh, collected many of those over the years. They're harder and harder to find, but I have still have, I probably have about 20, I think, if you include all the Nintendo 64 ones, which uh, later versions, due to the increase in size of cartridges, the Nintendo 64, two of the ones I have are CD based and one uh is actually zip disk based it has a uh, it's the z64 and it loads and saves games from zip disk so anyway uh tetris attack fun super nintendo game and then uh, on yesterday's stream i played some star wars games on the commodore 64 i played uh the original star wars the commodore port of the arcade game and i also played return of the jedi so if you didn't get a chance to see those you might hop over to uh, youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming. Look for the Sprite Castle Plays playlist and find those videos. I also did a stream of Hotline Miami, which I did not upload to the Amigos Retro Gaming channel. That's more of a family-friendly channel, and Hotline Miami's probably a little too violent for that, so I just uploaded it to my own uh, YouTube channel, which is just uh, Rob O'Hara on YouTube. Hotline Miami is, uh, I believe, seven years old. I think it's a 20, 2012 or 2013 game. And um, I had not played it in quite a while, but I saw that name mentioned somewhere recently and thought I would go back and give that a revisit. So I played a little Hotline Miami this week. Uh, let's see what's been going on around the uh, 
Flack household. Well, first of all, um, uh, unfortunate family news is that the uh, husband of my mother-in-law passed away this week, and um, he uh, had COPD, but now they're questioning uh, that he may have also had COVID. They're not sure, so they're doing some tests. He just passed away a couple days ago. Um, but, uh, my wife, uh, went over to help take care of him in the last day or two. He was, uh, uh, on hospice care. So he was uh, staying at my sister's or sister-in-law's house. And, uh, uh, so when the hospice nurse wasn't there, my sister-in-law and my wife were taking turns, uh, taking care of him. And now it appears that uh, there's a possibility he was exposed to COVID, which means everybody there may have been exposed to COVID. So uh, we are doing the fun quarantine thing. We haven't actually done that in my house yet, but uh, my wife, who spent a few days over there, is staying in the um, primary. I'm I'm changing my terminology. Uh, we used to say uh, master bedroom, but I'm I'm trying to uh, uh, be uh, uh, more. Um, uh, current with my terminology. I think we, I think the term now is primary bedroom. So she's staying in the primary bedroom. She has access to the full bathroom suite. There's a TV with cable in there and she's got her laptop and her cell phone. And, uh, our bedroom has a sliding glass door that goes out so she can come and go, uh, as she pleases. Um, and I have been sleeping on the couch, <laughs> which it turns out even expensive couches are not, very comfortable to sleep on. Not for, uh, this is uh, day three. <laughs> so actually by the time you hear this, uh, we, we, we had an opportunity. We had two different choices for the days of our, uh, uh, days and time slots for COVID tests. And one was the day after, uh, that, uh, my wife had, has possibly been exposed and that's just too, too soon for that to show up on tests. And the other time is, Thursday afternoon. So by the time you hear this, by the time I've finished editing and uploading this, uh, she and I will have had tests and we'll have the results of those tests. So, uh, if you're dying to know, I'd go to Twitter <laughs> because I'll probably be talking about it there. But, uh, I, I will say that nobody involved in this has had any symptoms. So we're hoping that, uh, uh, that everybody, we're, we're just hoping for best case scenario. So, but yeah, quarantine life. That's, uh, that's been interesting. That's a new thing of, uh, uh, coordinating who's going to get food and who's going to leave it outside of whose door, <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff. Thought that was over in 2020, didn't you folks? But no, it's still here in 2021. Um, so I've added, I mentioned this on a previous show, but I have added a new reward for my 16 bit Patreons. That is the higher tier. And my 16 bit Patreons get to ask a question and I will pick a question on each episode and read it and answer the question. And this episode's question comes from Dave Zilly, who lives in Canada. And Dave's question is Dave wants to know if I have ever been to Canada. And if I have any stories or memories of going to Canada and I have been to Canada, I've been to Canada twice. Um, the first time was in probably 1997, I would say. And this was when I was living in Spokane, Washington, and I had just got hired. Um, I'd probably been working for the federal government for less than a year. I'd just been hired, uh, by the, uh, 
Federal Aviation Administration. And um, uh, during the day, I was uh, supporting computer networks and computers and things like that. And at night, I uh, was sitting on IRC all night long and trading software and doing all kinds of terrible things. And one of the channels that I hung out in regularly was called Old Wares. And uh, that was, you know, even then, like even in 1997, I was retro. (laughs) I didn't want current games. I only wanted to talk to people that talked about old games. And that's where, that was where all the, uh, I think, uh, I thought, anyway, old timers hung out, was on Old Wares. And we would sit in there and and talk about uh, old games from the 80s. And I made friends with one of the guys who was an op. He was an operator. If you're not familiar with IRC, that means uh, in that channel, he had absolute power. And uh, in real life, his name was Dean. And he lived in Edmonton, Alberta, which it turns out was a 10 and a half hour drive from Spokane, Washington. And he and I chatted quite a bit uh, through old wares and outside of old wares and, and, uh, we formed a plan where I would drive up one weekend and spend the weekend with him, come to uh, Edmonton, come hang out and, and see, this is my first trip to Canada. And so, um, uh, I would say that I had three motives for this trip. The first one was obviously just to, um, uh, hang out, you know, with Dean, we were going to trade some software and do some stuff like that. Uh, but the second thing was he was a Linux user and this was, uh, I won't say before the GUI version of Linux. I, I can't say that, but um, I think he had, well, I had bought a copy of Red Hat that came on CD. And so I took a computer with me on this trip and I was going to get him to help me load Linux on this machine so that I would have a, a working Linux machine and, and teach me uh, Linux. And, and, you know, I'd never used it before. And all these guys on IRC use Linux all the time. So I, I, you know, I thought that was, uh, that was going to make me cool, you know? And then, um, I would say my third motive, and this was, uh, kind of a side thing, but I really thought if I, uh, you know, I mean, I I was already friends with this guy, but I thought the more I hung out with him and, and that, uh, uh, traded software and did all these things that somehow that would get me to also be an op on old wares. (laughs) <laughs> the things we do for power. And so um, I loaded my car up with uh, computer equipment and CDRs, tons and tons of CDRs full of pirated games. And um, I didn't have a spare monitor, so I borrowed a monitor from uh, the trash pile at work. This was a monitor that was uh, uh, only did VGA <laughs> 1997. Nobody wanted it. And so, uh, and it was barcoded, like it was government equipment that we had excess. We were waiting for people to come pick it up for the trash. So I didn't, I didn't feel bad about borrowing it. Of course, I, I uh, uh, planned to return it and did return it. Uh, and so uh, one Friday after work, I got off work early, like 3.30, I think. I got in the car, I had all my stuff loaded, and I took off and drove uh, the 10 and a half hour drive to Edmonton. Uh, I remember driving right when I got across the border, I needed gas and I stopped at a gas station and I didn't know where or how to exchange money. All I had was us currency. And I stopped at this, uh, you know, a little one-off privately owned gas station. And the guy that was working there, I asked him how to do it. And he said, well, you know, you can just play, you can pay in Canadian or us. It's the same price if you want. And I went, Oh, 
Well, that was super nice. So I don't remember how much, you know, maybe I put $20 worth of gas in the car and I gave the guy a 20. Uh, and it wasn't until I arrived at my friend's house that he told me, yeah, that that guy had totally ripped me off. <laughs> that I, I should have got a lot, lot more change. Uh, back then, I think the exchange rate was, uh, uh, lean towards the um, U.S.'s favor. Now I don't. I don't know. I don't think it's uh, the same story. But um, uh, we spent uh, a good portion of Saturday loading computers and copying games and having a good time. And then when we were done with that, when it was lunchtime, I think, or maybe a little bit after lunchtime, we went to the West Edmonton Mall. The West Edmonton Mall is, and uh, I got this from Wikipedia. Uh, it says it is the currently the largest shopping mall in North America and was the world's largest mall until 2004. So at the time that I went there, it was the largest mall in the world. Uh, this is the uh, paragraph uh, from Wikipedia. It says the West Edmonton Mall covers a gross area of 490,000 square feet. No, five, uh, sorry, that's uh, uh, meters. It's um, 5 million square feet. It holds over 800 stores. That's 800 both in um, metric and U.S. <laughs> uh, includes nine attractions, two hotels, and over 100 dining venues in the complex. Parking for more than 20,000 vehicles. More than 24,000 people are employed at the property. The mall receives 32 million visitors a year. It attracts between 90,000 and 200,000 shoppers a day, depending on the day and the season. The mall was valued at $926 million in January 2007, and in 2016, for tax purposes, it was valued at $1.3 billion, making it the most valuable property in Edmond. And so the two of us had a good time when he showed me the mall. I don't, I don't know that you could see all the mall in just a few hours, but there was a water park in the middle he showed me. There was, I believe, ice skating and bowling and and uh, just crazy. It was just a gigantic thing. I think you could uh, spend a week there and probably not see anything. So unfortunately, I didn't see a whole lot else of Edmonton. That's the biggest thing that I remember seeing. Uh, I do remember that for dinner, we stopped at Taco Bell. And I was surprised to see they serve tacos with French fries. And I had never seen that before. That was not common in the U.S., and uh, I, I had an exchange. I was like, I can't believe you guys have French fries. And the clerk said, what do they serve with tacos in the U.S.? And I said, more tacos. <laughs> um, my other memory of that trip was uh, when we went to Taco Bell, I reached into my pocket. You know, I'd, I'd bought some different things here and there. And I was like, oh, man, all I have is change left. I don't, I, you know, I'd broken all the bills. All I have is change. And my friend looked and he said, yeah, that's like 15 or $16. And um, that was when I learned that Canada, instead of a $1 bill, uses a coin called the loony. And then there was a $2 coin, which had, it was uh, like a coin and then a coin within the coin. And that was called a toonie. So uh, $1 was a loony and $2 was a toonie. So uh, in this handful of change, I had about $15 <laughs> and was uh, easily able to pay for my own lunch. Uh, this story ends with me on Sunday coming home late at night and trying to cross the border around midnight 
And it turns out I didn't declare, I didn't file out the proper forms to take computer equipment across the border to Canada. And so I was stopped at the border. Uh, I was taken um, inside where I had to wait. And these uh, border patrol officers basically um, opened my entire, went through my entire car. The doors open, the trunk open. They pulled out all my computer equipment. They pulled out all those pirated CDs. They pulled out my suitcase. They, you know, I mean, I had clothes in a bag uh, and had all this. And uh, I sat inside the Border Patrol office for hours as these guys went through all my things. And um, I basically uh, told a fib when they came in and made myself sound like a little bit more important uh, than I really was at work. And so um, it worked. It was a bluff and it worked. And they turned me loose and told me that I immediately had to, when I got back, I had to fill out all this paperwork and file um, claims on all this stuff. And uh, I never did it. I threw the paperwork out the window and I said, well, I guess I can never go to Canada again. (laughs) But I did go to Canada a second time. Uh, by the way, I had to pick up all my own stuff. They just left it out there on their little parking lot. I had to repack the whole car, (laughs) jerks. Um, but I did go to Canada a second time. Uh, the second time was in the summer of 2003. My family went on a giant road trip uh, from Oklahoma uh, all the way to Niagara Falls. So we went through uh, St. Louis and we went through Chicago and saw family there. We went through um, Cleveland. We got to see the house from A Christmas Story. We got to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, we went all the way up. We went to Maine. We went all the, like as far as you could go to the Northeast. We went to Maine. Um, we went to Fun Spot, the arcade. Uh, I mean, we just had a great trip. And then we finally um, went to Niagara Falls and we went across the border and we spent the day. Uh, of course, this was when you could just go across the border and it wasn't that big of a deal. You just stopped and a guy stared at you for a minute and uh, <laughs> let us go across. And, uh, so we went over and, and, um, walked around the other side of Niagara Falls. I thought it was kind of a touristy kind of town and I thought it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Uh, probably my biggest memory of that is we went to a wax museum when we got over on that side. And, um, uh, there were two wax museums to choose from. The first one, uh, was like $20 a person, and it looked great. I think it was a Madame Tussauds or something like that, but it was a officially licensed uh, wax museum. And uh, But we, it was four of us. It was me and my wife and my two kids, you know? And so um, then we saw this other wax museum, and uh, it was only like five or seven bucks a person or something. We were like, well, let's do that. And there was a reason, ladies and gentlemen, that it was so cheap. Uh, the wax figures in that museum were so terrible. <laughs> I have pictures. Um, you know what? Maybe on, on, uh, this week, uh, when I upload the picture for the, the, this episode, I'll, I'll paste in a couple pictures of the wax figures, but they were like, there was a guy standing, you know, a wax figure with a flannel shirt and a golf club. And we were like, who is that supposed to be? And then you had to go read the sign and goes, Oh, that's Billy Madison. (laughs) Uh, Or there was just two guys sitting there and there's a fatter one and a skinnier one in suits. And then we looked and it was uh, supposed to be the blues brothers, but they were just 
really, really terrible. And uh, there was a, a Star Wars room, and none of the people looked like Star Wars characters. I mean, they, you know, it would be like a guy in, in Han Solo's outfit, but the face didn't look like Harrison Ford. It was just really bad, you know. And then uh, you went into the final room, and there was like 40 people standing around, and you had to go read the list of who all the people were. And so I remember going up, and um, I have the list right here. The people in there were uh, David Chambers, Paradroid, Matt Hill, C. Dubs, Carrie Clanton, Zeke Pabsky. Zeke's was all messed up. It was terrible. Uh, Alan Hudgens, Mitsuyama, Ant Page, Mr. Bundy, Hermski, Stephen Burt, Mike McLaughlin, Gary Heather, Darren Folds, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Arbidan Restel, Olav Hope, David Hearn, John Schaller, Eric Stryanisi, Matt Nicholson, Steve Rasmussen, Chris Folds, Garrett Allier, Scrap Arcade, Graham Vobke, Rick Reynolds, Scott Lambert, Mark Alley, Jake Nonamaker, John Treholt, Roy Jacobs, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. Uh, it was just this big area of figures. And then there was an area right behind them, just on a slightly taller pedestal, with four more people. Steve Sharippa, Dave Zilly, Patrick Markey, and John Morrison. It was crazy. It was, it was, uh, uh, it, it, it was, um, uh, upsetting. It was strange. And of course, none of those people were actually in the wax museum. Those are my Patreon supporters. So I want to thank all my eight bit Patreon supporters and 16 bit Patreon supporters for supporting the show. Uh, if you want to see what you could get for supporting the show, or if you just want to kick a few bucks towards the show each week, go check out patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Uh, and special thanks to Dave Zilly for this week's question for the show. If you have feedback about this episode or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at Rob Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Or leave me a message on my podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. And now as I check, boy, the mister loaded the notes a long time ago. So let's go ahead and get started with this week's episode, The Mr. FPGA. So before I could talk about The Mister, I really need to talk about its predecessor, which was The Mist. And the roots of the mist go back further than most people think. Uh, I would trace the roots back to 2005, which was when the Minimig was released. And the Minimig was a project to rebuild or recreate the Amiga 500 on an FPGA. Now, back then, I barely heard of the Minimig. I only heard it mentioned in passing, and I certainly didn't know what an FPGA was. But the Minimig goes all the way back to 2005. So fast forward several years to 2013, and there was a project called The Mist. Now, if you don't know, Mist 
is uh, a conglomeration. Is that the right term of two uh, different abbreviations? You have the MI, which is from Amiga or Minimig MI, and ST of Atari ST. And so that's what MIST. That's how the word MIST was formed. And the original goal of the MIST was to run two cores. One to run the Minimig core, which is the Amiga core, and the other one was to run an Atari ST core. So that's how the name MIST came around. And it was to do this on FPGA-based emulation. Now, I went back and looked at my logs, and I bought a MIST that same year in 2013. Now, I bought it towards the end of the year, and the earliest uh, that I can find this mentioned over on, uh, I think it's on the Atari Age forums, is in... Um, either late January or early February, people started talking about the mist. So, uh, but again, the original mist was a small device that was intended to run those two cores. And over time, other cores were added a lot of eight bit, uh, and some 16 bit computers and video game consoles were added, uh, to, uh, uh the mist. And we're going to be talking all about FPGA and cores and, and, uh, talk about all this terminology. Um, now, I've heard FPGA explained a lot of different ways over the years. Uh, one thing, and of course, you know, in doing preparation for this show, I just watched a million YouTube videos and read all these articles, but they all seem to, to boil down to um, kind of three different uh, explanations. One is that FPGAs allow for parallel hardware emulation versus sequential code, which is what you would find in an emulator. So if you're running uh, a Nintendo emulator on your PC, every step, every frame, the emulator has to run through a sequential uh, you know, series of lines of code, whereas uh, FPGA, it can leverage all the different chips at the same time. So it's, it's parallel processing. That's one explanation. Uh, the explanation that I normally give to people and the one that, that I think is more common is that the FPGA is trying to attempt hardware emulation versus software emulation. So uh, again, let's talk, you know, say a Nintendo emulator on your PC uh, is a piece of software that is translating the original ROM uh, game cartridge, the, the code that was on the cartridge in a ROM format into something that your computer can understand. But the FPGA is not doing that. Uh, something like the Mist or the Mister is taking the actual code from the chips. And so it's pretending to be the hardware. It is actually becoming uh, the hardware, just a software version of the actual hardware. So it's kind of a different in, uh, in semantics, but it's a different way uh, of approaching the, the issue or the problem. Uh, but the third thing that I hear a lot is that FPGA is not emulation, that it is simulation, that you are simulating the hardware and playing these games versus something like on your PC, that would be uh, emulation. You know, a lot of it is uh, semantics. A lot of it, uh, people get very upset if you use the, the wrong term. And I've, I've read threads where people are literally yelling at each other over the difference between the two. Uh, but I think what it boils down to is that the goal of FPGA implementations is not to do things faster or, uh, you know, more 
I think the goal is accuracy. And at the core, that that's really what I would take away from the mist or the mister, is that its goal is to be as accurate as possible. Now, the trade-off is that it doesn't emulate as many or emulate or simulate as many systems as uh, some other things. We'll talk about that later on too, but, but that would be the takeaway. Um, you know, it is a, uh, a hardware. I mean, basically what this FPGA chip is, is uh, I think of it as it looks like a CPU, but it's filled with flashable RAM, just like a USB flash drive or something. And so every time that you flash a core onto it, it's taking all the original code and, and instructions that are built into that CPU and putting it just in a temporary uh, storage. So all of this is, is super simplified. You could probably write a thesis going into FPGA and, and explaining it, but that's the way that I imagine it is that you're taking the code, not, not a way to translate the code, but basically you're taking, um, you know, the, the actual instructions from the hardware device and you're putting it inside the mist or the mister. Now for just a moment, I want to talk about the difference between the mist, which was released in 2013 and the mister, which is what we're talking about today and was released, I guess last year. Um, the mist was mostly a closed source project. You bought a mist device from one guy. One guy made the mist. Now, I think that there was a way where parts of it became open source, and and uh, I might be wrong, and I don't want to misrepresent it. But that was the way that um, when I was introduced to the project was uh, you couldn't just buy off the shelf hardware, which you can with a mister. Uh, but the idea was that you bought a mist device from the guy who made the mist and sold the mist. So it was like buying something uh, off the shelf. Uh, the approach to the mister is much different. The mister is very open source and, and seems to be uh, a little bit more community oriented. Uh, the mist, the hardware was a little bit limited, and part of that is due to the time that it was released. But even some of the things still seem uh, outdated at the time. Uh, one example was the original mist, and this was in 2013, only has VGA output as opposed to the mister, which can do lots of different kinds of output, including uh, by default HDMI. So um, the mist also had two DB9 joystick ports, which made sense if you were trying to emulate uh, or simulate the uh, the Amiga or the uh, Atari ST. But now, uh, you know, th there's a lot more ports uh, available for the Mister. Um, there was a big controversy with the Mist, and I remember when this happened, and that was that uh, when people cloned the Mist project and were able to reproduce it much cheaper than the original Mist, that basically killed uh, the mist. I mean, that killed the project. Um, you know, this guy was was making devices, and all of a sudden, people were making knockoff ones or whatever. And uh, uh, there was a lot of threads online. Uh, it was not. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of arguing going on about that. So um, I was there. I remember all those things. Um, but I mean, the takeaway that I would say is that the mist I thought of as a almost like a console that you bought. It was very closed source when it came to the hardware and stuff like that. Whereas the Mister, 
uh, is very open source. It uses hardware that you can buy right off the shelf. You can buy different pieces here and there. Um, you can, um, you know, build a, you can add on to it as you go. So it's just a kind of a different mindset, but I don't, we wouldn't have the mister if we didn't have the mist. Uh, the original mist had a 48 megahertz arm processor. The mister has an 800 megahertz dual core arm processor. So it's much more powerful than the original mist, uh, which allows it to emulate a lot more or gosh, I keep saying emulate, but you know what I mean? Uh, to run, uh, bigger and more advanced cores. Now, when I heard about the mister and I decided that I wanted to own a mister, I didn't think I would be confused by what is a mister. And it turns out that a mister is not just one thing. <laughs> um, the mister uh, in itself, I guess I would say at its core, is a DE10 FPGA board. Uh, it is a single board. I believe it costs just over a hundred dollars us. I believe is the price. Um, and so if you have that, the DE 10 board, you can flash cores onto it and you, you have a mister. Now you're going to need a lot more to make this thing usable. Uh, the first thing that they recommend that you add is a USB hub. Now you can add, you'll, it'll need to be a powered hub and you can buy, you know, just a normal USB powered hub, but there's a lot of things going to be plugged into the mister. And so they have a USB hub that plugs into that the DE 10 sits on top of. And that, um, makes it a little bit more compact, especially if you want to put all this stuff inside a case, uh, it kind of makes sense to do. So they have this additional USB hub that has seven additional USB ports. Um, uh, we'll talk about what those are going to be or could be used for uh, shortly. They also have these uh, add-on uh, IO boards, input-output boards, and, and there's two that I found. Uh, there's an analog one and there's a digital one. Now, the analog one will give you things like a 3.5 inch audio jack. If you wanted to get analog audio out that way, it also gives you VGA output. So if you want, um, I think a lot of the arcade cores, it's more accurate if you were outputting straight to a VGA monitor. So if you want to add uh, analog outputs, you can buy this analog IO board. If you want a digital uh, output. Well, you already get HDMI out, but uh, there is a digital IO board that gives you these GPIO pins, which right now are not used, but could be used uh, someday. It also adds these um, uh, buttons on the top for resetting. And, and uh, none of these are critical, but they're convenient. It has a hardware uh, on off switch. And um, I believe the digital board, I don't know if the analog one does, but the digital one has an additional SD card slot for adding a second SD card. Um, so, you know, this, this was all confusing. Like, what do I need? What do I not need? Um, in addition, you also need to add some SD Ram to this. Now, um, most, I believe there are some low end cores that will run with no Ram added at all, but by default, I think most people uh, at a minimum, you would want 32 megs of Ram, but really what you want is the 128 Ram add-on. 
Um, the largest core, I believe, is a Neo Geo core, and that one requires 128 megs of RAM uh, of this SD RAM to run. So the DE10 board, remember I said, uh, you know, costs just over $100, right? But the places that are selling these pre-assembled, I bought mine from Mr. Add-ons, which appears to be uh, one of the most popular places, but it's not the only place. Uh, but I bought a combination of the DE10 board. I bought the USB add-on, uh, the USB hub that it sits on top of. I bought the digital IO, but I could see an argument for either one. And frankly, I'm not using anything on the digital IO except for the on-off switch right now. Uh, I really bought it because I wanted a future-proof, but I could I could make an argument for getting the analog one too. Uh, and I bought the 128 uh, SD RAM add-on. That package is $335. So you can see how uh, it's easy for the price to go up, and that's without a case. Uh, there's a couple different cases you can buy. If you're into 3D printing, there are cases you can 3D print. Uh, there's a very popular case right now, which is made out of aluminum, which kind of works as a giant heat sink for the whole thing. Uh, but those cases are $70. And I really wanted to keep my purchase under the 400 mark. So I did not get a case, but I'm going to 3D print one. And I've been saying that for the past three weeks. So I need to just go ahead and do that. But um, um, a little bit more about the Mister itself. It uses micro SD cards for storage. So you'll need a micro SD card. Now, most of the packages that you buy come with an 8 gigabyte uh, micro SD card, and that's enough to get started. You know, it, it has the Mr. Configuration files. If it's preloaded, if not, it, it's uh, plenty big enough to hold all the Mr. files and you can put ROMs and stuff on there and it's enough to play around, but it won't be enough to hold everything. If you want something that holds everything, I would recommend a 256 gigabyte SD card. I bought one off Amazon. I believe it was uh, some, somewhere between 35 and $40 and um, a SanDisk, and the um, mister has no problem reading it. Uh, I was able to just transfer over to the files, and uh, it was good to go. And I have been told that basically you could put all the ROMs for everything that the mister plays, and you won't go over that. Uh, it only is when you get into hard disk images and things like that that you might need additional storage. You can use other storage. You can use USB sticks. If you bought, like I bought the digital IO card, it has a second SD card slot, so you could put a second SD card in there. And you can also use uh, USB hard drives. You can attach a USB hard drive, and that's what some people have done for the people that have the gigantic uh, ROM sets that include hard drive images. Uh, you could attach those on an external hard drive if you wanted. Now, to go back for a moment, I said that the DE10, which is the heart of the Mister, only has one USB port, and that one of the things they recommend you purchase is a powered USB hub. Now, the USB hub has seven uh, USB ports on it. Currently, I have a keyboard plugged in. I have a mouse plugged in for the uh, Amiga and the ST cores. I have uh, two different joysticks plugged in, and I'll talk about that. And I have uh, an external hard drive. I'm not actually using it. I was just testing it mostly for this episode. Um, but that's uh, five ports right there that I'm already using. So, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to be plugging and unplugging all these things into the DE10's single. So it, whether you buy the official 
USB hub that snaps together or you get a separate powered hub, whichever way you want to do it uh, is fine. But that's definitely something I would recommend uh, right off the bat. There's another thing that's called snack, S-N-A-C. Now, that's not talking snack, <laughs> which you might know from uh, Spry Castle, but S-N-A-C stands for Serial Native Accessory Converters. Uh, and these are tiny little adapters, but I believe you have to have the I.O. board to use these. I'm pretty sure that's true. Uh, and so what these are are little adapters that look like they look like HDMI plugs, except for on the other end, they have female joystick ports that will allow you to connect actual hardware joysticks from system. So you could actually plug in an NES controller. And I believe the advantage that I read of doing this, not only can you use the actual controller, but this is now a zero lag environment. This would be exactly as if you connected a joystick to a Nintendo or a Sega Genesis or anything like that. Now, if you don't, want to go down this this route of buying these uh, snack adapters, and I don't have any of them, uh, then you can just use any USB, I say any, you can use any compatible USB joystick or gamepad and play all the games. I read that USB introduces one millisecond lag. I mean, that, you know, when I die in a game, that's not my problem. <laughs> it's not because there was one millisecond of lag, so... Uh, I, I don't think uh, the USB adds any noticeable lag at all to gaming on the Mister. Now, once you purchase this Mister device, what do you need to get started? And the first thing that you need is basically the Mister image. Now, you can download this for free. And you'll need some sort of software. I use, I think it's called WinSD32 or, um, gosh, let me click over here on my uh, app folder here. There's a couple of different ones that I use. I can't think of that. Rufus is one. Uh, anything that you use like that that will flash a, um, you know, take an image and flash it onto a um, uh, SD card will work. So you have to download this image. And then uh, flash it onto the card. Now, most of these places like Mr. Add-ons, whenever you buy it, the card has already been set up. So I didn't have to do all that. In a, a funny side story, I checked the Mr. And when I looked in the SD card slot, there was no card. So I sat for two days while I ordered this 256 gig card. And then when it arrived, I plugged the mister in and turned it on and the machine booted up. And that's when I discovered that my mister, because I purchased the additional I.O. board, has two SD slots. And so I'd only checked one. And the other one had a card in it and was already set up and ready to go. So I, I could have been playing uh, games two days earlier. But there you go. Now, once you've, you've flashed this image onto the SD card, you've put the SD card in the mister and turned it on. Uh, it creates this directory structure that you'll see if you've watched any Twitch streams or YouTube videos of people with misters, you will see this very familiar directory structure. There's a folder called arcade, one called computer, one called console, one called other, and one called utility. Uh, arcade will be populated with the cores of arcade games. 
Computer will have cores for uh, computer games, consoles, consoles. Other are seven additional games that have been ported to run directly on the Mister. So even if you haven't downloaded any ROMs or anything like that, uh, there will be some games in there. I, the first thing I tried was Flappy Bird, and I played Flappy Bird right, right on the Mister. And uh, then there's Utility, and those are mostly um, memory test type things. Uh, I, I haven't really used anything in the Utility uh, folder. Um, the uh, there's also a data screen you can see that will show the IP address if you uh, the Mister comes with a Ethernet port, but you can also purchase um, uh, a wireless or a Wi-Fi dongle. Uh, there are specific ones that people have tested that work. Uh, you can also buy a Bluetooth adapter if you want to play uh, with Bluetooth uh, joysticks or things like that. But uh, this uh, additional screen it shows how much free space you have on your SD card. Uh, the IP address, it'll show the local time, uh, but it also gives you access to scripts. And so the Mr. Image comes with a bunch of scripts, but you could download other ones. And this is something that was really missing from the original Mist. Uh, the original Mist, there's a, a firmware for the Mist, but there were also the cores for different games, and, and I'll explain cores in just a second, but uh, the core, you can think about the, the comparative would be an emulator. Like if you were, you're, you know, S or Z, SNES or whatever, if that's the, the emulator you use on the computer, well, on this, you have to get the Super Nintendo core, and that is the thing that you use to play Super Nintendo games. But there was always this thing on the original Myst, like I would get an updated core for the Amiga, and then it wouldn't work because I hadn't updated the BIOS uh, on on the Mist, or I'd update the Mist, and then the core wouldn't work. So it was it was a lot of manual work. And not only that, but unless you were going and checking these pages, you didn't know when all these cores were being updated. So the Mist solves all the or the Mister solves all these problems with a single script that comes built in called Update. And these are all just simple uh, scripts. You could go in and look at them, edit them. Uh, the first script that I ran, I enabled FTP. So I can immediately connect to my mister and uh, drop and drag ROMs to it. I can edit these scripts. I can copy over new scripts. Uh, so that that's um, – and there's, there's built-in scripts for enabling SSH and, and all different kinds of stuff. Uh, but um, this updater script goes out, checks the GitHub – and it gets the latest update for your mister, and then it checks every single official core. And if it's there's a newer version, it updates them. So you don't have to do this manual thing, which I was constantly doing on the mist, going out uh, to websites or watching Twitter feeds and trying to find updates for these cores. And so the mister with this single script resolves all those issues. Uh, it's it's great, uh, especially if you own the mist. You know, if you're new to all this and you just buy a mystery, you might just go, yeah, well, that's what it should do. But uh, if you were a mist owner like I was, it's really, really handy. Now, I found a custom script that someone else had written called, and I think it's called Update All, which not only calls that original update script, but it calls a bunch of different update scripts. And so when I ran the Update All, it went out and got all these arcade cores that are now working and, and, um, 
it really just keeps your device up to date. Every time you run it, uh, there's little updates here and there. And uh, it's really, really a useful uh, addition to uh, this whole FPGA thing. Now, when you hear the term cores, again, the core is basically those set of instructions that you're going to flash onto the CPU. And flashing is as simple as going into the menu and, and selecting the core you want. I mean, it's, and there's no limit. It's not like, oh, if you flash this thing a hundred times or a thousand times, you're going to wear it out. I don't think, I don't think it can be worn out. Uh, not, not through conventional use like that. So, and every time you flash a core, especially the smaller ones, it takes one to two seconds. I mean, it is so fast. So it's not like, you know, I mean, I imagined uh, back in the, in the mist days, you know, oh, I'm going to flash this thing. Oh, I might have to wait 30 seconds or a minute or walk away. It's not like that. It's literally like picking a different emulator in a retro pie or something like that. So I wanted to run down uh, the cores. And, and again, I didn't go out and seek these individually. I just ran the update script that came with it. And these are all the cores that got pushed to me. So first of all, we have the computer directory. I'm not going to read every one, but I want to read the most common ones. I separated out the most common ones that I think most people would be interested in. Uh, of course, there's the Amiga. There's the Amstrad CPC. Uh, actually, there's two uh, Amstrad or Amstrad computers. There's the AO486, which is a basically an emulates a 486. I read uh, that it's comparable to a 486.33SX, uh, but it's actually been improved uh, very recently, and so uh, the performance is not bad. It'll do uh, Apple One and Apple Two uh, and Apple Macintosh. Uh, there's the Atari 800XL, the Atari ST, the BBC Micro, the Coco. Uh, there's a whole slew of Commodore computers, Commodore uh, 64, obviously, Commodore 16, the Plus 4, the VIC-20, and the PET are all uh, covered by the Mister. There's the MSX, the Sinclair, the TI-99, TRS-80 Model 1, and the ZX Spectrum and ZX-81. Now, there are a bunch of less uh, popular Computer systems also covered by the Mister. Uh, I see Altair eighty eight is on the list here. There's a PDP one, um, a Laser three ten. I don't even know what that is. Um, you know the uh, X sixty eight thousand, which I've seen. I'm not that familiar with uh, Jupiter Ace. So you know you could go onto if you type in Mister FPGA uh, into Google. One of the first hits that you'll see is the GitHub repository that has all these cores listed down the right-hand side. So if there's an older computer or something specific that you're curious to see if the mister can run, you can click on the side list there and it'll show them all to you. And you can go see, uh, you know, what the status of these things is too. Like you could click on, you know, oh, here's the uh, Acorn Atom and you could click and it might say, I haven't looked, but, you know, it might say, oh, this is in progress. We're working on it. Or it might say, you know, this has been abandoned or whatever. So you can see the status uh, of all these cores. Uh, I'm going to talk, when I get to the end of these lists, I'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, things I ran into a different cores. Uh, but next is console. And the console list is much smaller than uh, the computer list. Under consoles, I guess I'll just read them all here. There's the Astrocade, the Atari 2600 and 5200, 
the AY38500. I don't know what that is. Uh, ColecoVision, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive, the SMS uh, and Game Gear, Mega CD, the Neo Geo. Again, that's the one that requires 128 megs of uh, SD RAM. The NES, the Odyssey 2, Super Nintendo, the TurboGrafx-16 slash PC Engine, and the Vectrex. So that's a much smaller list. And if you look through here, there are things that aren't included. I mean, I'm just glancing at the list right now. I don't see Intellivision, for example. So if that's important to you, this might not be the purchase for you. Um, I don't know... um, Oh, I'm sure there are lots of other uh, uh, 8-bit and 16-bit consoles just skimming through here that I don't see. But uh, uh, again, uh, if you go online and look, uh, I'll talk uh, in a few minutes. I want to talk about like Nintendo 64 and some things like that that are not on this list. The third directory is arcade, and so this is filling up with arcade cores. Now, these this is different than MAME which emulates arcade games, these cores are emulating the boards and running the direct code. So this should be exactly identical to the arcade games that you play. Now, I'm not going to read them all because uh, there's a lot of them and they're changing. It seems like they're being updated very frequently. But uh, in general, I would say there's a lot of what I would call 8-bit style games. I mean, I played Zaxxon. I played, um, you know, Pac-Man, like those type of games. There are a few, what I would call 16-bit games. I saw Gauntlet was on there. Um, A few other things, but not very many. And so I don't know if that uh, means that people haven't got to create cores for those yet, or if the DE10 is just not capable of doing a lot of those more advanced systems. I don't know the answer to that. So that's something I'll be watching in the future. Now, whenever I've talked about this before, that when I was a kid and I had an Atari 2600 and I got uh, Laser Blast, that's a good example. Laser Blast is a very simple game. It's kind of the opposite of Space Invaders. You're the alien on top and you're shooting the uh, the little guns that are uh, rolling back and forth on the bottom of the screen. It's a very simple game. And I think if you showed it to a normal kid now, they might play it for a couple of minutes. Uh, If they were really interested in it, they might play it for five minutes. (laughs) But I spent weeks playing that game. Like, I got that game, and that was one of the few games I had at the time. And I played it incessantly. I played Laser Blast a lot, a lot. And But if you were to give somebody 50 Atari games... They're not going to play all those. They're going to pick the ones that are the best and play those. And if they find one that's a dud, they'll play it, try it out, and then move on to the next game. So with any system like this, uh, that you know is the way things are going to work. Like, uh, have I dug into you know the emulation so far of the the deck um, PDP one? No, <laughs> I started jumping into the systems that I know and like. And uh, so this is just a few experiences that I've had over the past two weeks. Um, and and one thing I'll say is that I haven't done a whole lot of Commodore 64 
core uh, exploration because I have so many different ways to play Commodore games. I've talked about it. I've got the Ultimate 64. I've got the BMC 64. I've got the C64, all these different things. So honestly, playing Commodore games on this right now, Commodore 64 games um, was not, you know, my immediate priority. But I did want to try out Commodore 16, you know. And so um, one of the things I read, which turned out not to be true, was that the Mr. does not support zip files. Now, I think that might have been true at one point in time, but it's not true now. A lot of the, most of the console cores seem to support zipped ROMs. So when I fired up the Super Nintendo all my ROMs are, are separately separate zip files, and it played them just fine. It was no problem. Uh, but when I copied over, I downloaded the Tosec uh, C16 collection of discs, copied it over, and the mister would not recognize those at all. Uh, it just showed a, drink, a blank directory. and But the other consoles did support zip disks, but... The computer consoles don't seem to do that, uh, or the computer cores. So I had to go in on the C16 core. I had to basically, since I had FTP'd them, I had to delete all those. And then I had to go back in and, and unzip all of those disk images and um, uh, copy them back over through FTP over to the SD card. And Unlike a lot of cores like Super Nintendo, you know, I'm just using that as an example. You pick the game you want and it plays. But on for you know the Commodore 16, you pick the disc you want and it goes, okay, the disc is in the drive. Now what? And you had to actually you know type in the uh, the old legacy Commodore commands, load dollar sign to to get the directory and and you know load the file that you wanted. So. Um, I wouldn't say it's as user-friendly as uh, some emulators that I've tried. You know, I use WinVice quite a bit when I'm streaming, and you just double-click on a disk and double-click on a file, and everything loads up, and uh, and the mister didn't seem to do that. Uh, not for the Commodore cores that I tried. The next core that I tried was the Apple II. Now, I know that I'm known as the Commodore guy, and I wrote a book about Commodore computers. I wrote a couple books about Commodore computers, uh, and my Twitter handle is Commodore. But I really do have a soft spot for the Apple II. You know, I was an Apple II user for three years before I had the Commodore 64, so I had a lot of time playing those early 80s uh, Apple II games. Um, and so right off the bat, the first two Apple II games I wanted to try were Karatika and Load Runner. So I loaded up Karatika, and it loaded just fine, and that was good. Uh, but I couldn't go up or down. I could only kick and punch at mid-level, and when it came time to run, I couldn't stand up straight and run. Um, I could only you know, stay in my fighting stance, which I thought was odd, but I thought maybe that was something to do with Karatika. So then I loaded Load Runner, and got, again, you know, game loads right up, Um. I started running around, dug some holes, ran over to the nearest ladder and found out I couldn't go up the ladder. So now I realized it wasn't a problem with the game, the specific game. There's something going on. And fortunately, if you type in Mr. Space FPGA space, whatever problem you're having, <laughs> a lot of people have already had these same problems that you could find answers. Um, now, I've been using a USB 
Uh, it looks just like a Super Nintendo gamepad, except for it's USB. And uh, if you recall, if you're familiar at all with the Apple, uh, the Apple II computer, you know that the old joysticks for the Apple II were analog. And uh, a Super Nintendo gamepad is completely digital. And so basically the Apple Core, <laughs> Apple Core Baltimore, <laughs> who's your friend? Me. <laughs> I've got to put in a sound clip right here. So that's your game, huh? <laughs> The Apple II Core uh, is designed to be just like an Apple, which means it only recognizes analog sticks. And uh, so when I looked online, it said other people said, yes, they've had the same problem. And the solution is to use a joystick that has analog sticks. Now, my first thought was, well, uh, you know, what about a PlayStation gamepad? And so I went and got a game, uh, a, a PlayStation 3 controller, plugged it in through the USB. Uh, there is a, a joystick configuration uh, that you go through on the Mister, and I, I ran through that and set the joystick up. And it wasn't as, I mean, it's not that it was complicated, but it just wasn't intuitive. Like it was saying things like, um, uh, use the tilt or, you know, press the tilt down. Well, the tilt is the analog stick. But I thought, you know, maybe I didn't know. I was tilting the joystick. I'm dumb. <laughs> uh, but I did eventually get the joystick set up and went back into the Apple Core. And uh, it worked fine. I'm able to play Load Runner. And kind of confusingly, I can use the D-pad on the PS3 controller now that I've set up the analog controls. So don't fully understand it, but uh, it does work. So... Uh, I, I mean, as far as Apple II emulation goes, uh, you know, it, it seems perfect. And uh, uh, frankly, if it hadn't worked quite as good as it does, I probably would have got a lot more done this week because there's so many great Apple II games. And, um, you know, going into the uh, the on-screen menu on the Mist or the Mister, uh, you could use the buttons that are built into the front of the mister, or you can use F12 to bring up the on-screen display, which is what I always do. If you have a USB keyboard connected, it's uh, a lot quicker, I think. So I hit F12, and you can switch disks through that. Um, you can you can do other configuration things. So uh, it's very very convenient. You know, I have a, a CFFA 3000 for the Apple II, and um, you had to buy an additional thing to be able to switch disks, and it's kind of like doing them blindly and stuff. This, this seems a lot easier to me. In fact, um, the price of CFFA 3000 boards has skyrocketed since I bought mine. And uh, as happy as I am with the Apple II emulation uh, on the Mr., I might sell that card. I don't know. That's the thing about the Mr. is uh, it makes you start thinking – uh, the emulation is so good on things that do you need the hardware anymore? And, um, that's, uh, that's a tough one to struggle with. Um, I've thought about that a lot over the past couple of weeks. Uh, anyway, I messed around with, uh, the Neo Geo core next and right out of the, the bat, the Neo Geo core does not work. It requires, uh, BIOS files, uh, like uh, the Amiga emulator and other things, because the uh, BIOS is uh, still um, uh, copyrighted. So you got to go find the the BIOS files. I actually had a hard time finding those, harder than I thought I would. 
And then I put all the ROMs that I had for um, uh, MAME. I put those over, but those wouldn't work uh, because they were in the wrong format. And then I found a utility to convert them into the right format, but a lot of them had errors. Finally, I found a batch of ROMs that were in, um, gosh, I forgot what format they're in. It's not, um, it's not dot MVS, but it was something, um, gosh, I wish I had it here, but, um, you know, and I, I can look while I'm, while I'm talking here. Uh, but, um, uh, I, I did eventually get it to work. Uh, but you know, you can feel, it's funny how, like when you flash a core for the Apple II, it takes two seconds switching to Neo Geo and loading Neo Geo games. Uh, it's a lot slow. Now the games seem to run at full speed and man, do they look beautiful? You know, I've got this, uh, I bought a, uh, 32 inch, hold on. No, duh. I'm so stupid. They're dot Neo. <laughs> so, uh, I was able to get dot Neo, ROMs to work, and I believe they're both um, AES and MVS games uh, can be converted to this uh, .neo format, and then uh, the Neo Geo emulator will play them. But it just feels like, you know that feeling like when you're um, loading a, a bigger ROM, or like it takes a little longer and, and doing that. Like you can definitely feel that, that these are bigger ROMs compared to uh, uh, a lot of the smaller systems. I bought a a uh, 32 inch television f- to dedicate to the mister. I went to Sam's. I got a hundred dollar Sam's uh, card for Christmas, a gift card. And this is a $129 TV and it was on sale for $99 after Christmas. Um, so I'm running uh, HDMI out of the mister right into uh, it's a, I forgot what it is, a Hitachi or something, but it's a Roku TV. I didn't even, Put it on the network. Um, I don't need my computer. I don't need my TV talking to websites. Um, but uh, it it works beautifully. Um, in fact, uh, there was a small thing. I guess I'll just throw this in here. Uh, the TV was doing something super annoying, which every time the mister changed resolutions, you know, when I would go from, especially you notice it like on an Amiga demo, uh, and it would, it would flip between different resolutions, uh, this window would pop up in the corner and it would stay there for like 10 seconds and it was driving me crazy i was almost ready to return the television and um anyway i found out it wasn't the television doing it it's the mister and that's a default setting and so you could go in everything's configurable it's all ini files and text files and you can change the behavior to anything you want and so uh, i disabled that on mine uh i don't care what resolution it's running in frankly and I don't want that pop-up if I'm trying to, to stream something from it. So, uh, But yeah, Neo Geo uh, took a little bit more effort. You had to find the BIOS files. I had to find the ROMs in the right format. But once I got everything plugged in, and uh, again, it's a type of thing where there's people that are half my age have already made videos and put them on YouTube of how to solve these problems. So if you're willing to watch YouTube videos or, or look up uh, threads on forums, people have already done this work. Uh, the last one that I messed around with that I was going to talk about was the AO486. This is the 486 emulator. Now, uh, I've talked about Exodos, which is a package you could get on your PC right now. And you could download it. It has the top, I don't remember what it was, 7,000 DOS games or something, which is way overkill. Nobody's going to play 7,000 different DOS games. But um, the AO486 uses... 
virtual hard drives, VHDs. Um, these are things you can create on your computer, and it's the AO486 is looking for FAT32 formatted hard drives. So I think, uh, I don't even want to say what the size limitation. I don't remember if it was um, 500 meg. Uh, I don't even remember. But, um, uh, you know, so you could create these or... If you go to someplace like the Internet Archive and search for AO486, there's a very popular package right now that has the top 300 DOS games. And uh, you could download that and copy that VHD over. But I could see how if you were going to start doing things like getting the whole Exodos collection or building giant VHDs, um, that's where you might want to start thinking about more storage on your mister and, and more storage could include a external, uh, USB hard drive. I think that's probably a good solution if you're going to be doing that. Also, um, you know, there are things like the, um, Oh, the mega CD was one that I talked about, or I think the, um, Amiga will play CD 32. So there are different, uh, I think, uh, I think it's CHD formats that it's looking for, for, um, these CDs. But, uh, regardless, if you're getting into, you know, building collections of CDs to play on the Mister, you're probably going to be looking at uh, more than just a 256 gig SD card. So again, um, you know, throwing a uh, USB hard drive or something off of that uh, USB hub is probably what you're looking at. Now, as I look through the list of cores that are available for the Mister, there are a few that jumped out at me, higher end ones. There is no PlayStation Core. There is no Nintendo 64 Core. And there is no Dreamcast Core. And the reason I mentioned those three specifically is because uh, I have played all three of those on the Raspberry Pi. And so I want to talk a little bit about the difference between Raspberry Pi and something like RetroPie versus the Mr. And before I get started, I do want to say this. Uh, there is a Patreon uh, chat. I don't know what you call it. A Patreon page uh, that is of a guy who is developing a PlayStation Core. Now, I believe that he's saying, I mean, there, there's all kinds of estimates that it'll be working in, in six months or it'll be working uh, in a year. My advice, and this is, I don't, I don't know this guy. I don't know anything about it. But my advice is I would never buy a piece of hardware because somebody is promising a piece of software will be developed for it. I've run into that a lot before, especially back, you know, when they were coming out with all these uh, Linux and small uh, handhelds. I bought a GP32, um, and there were some other ones. I, I don't remember if it was the Dragon, and uh, I don't I don't remember. But, you know, they were saying like, oh, well, it'll be able to do all this. We just need people to write it. Well, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that'll work if people just write it. And you're expecting these people to sit around and write code for free. And and uh, I just don't, I don't bet on that stuff. You know what I mean? So if the guy uh, develops it, that'll be great. I'll move a bunch of uh, PlayStation ISOs over to a, an extra hard drive, and I'll, I'll have a great time playing them. But I wouldn't buy something, you know, based on a promise is all I'm saying. So the Raspberry Pi on RetroPie will play PlayStation games. And it'll play Nintendo 64 games. And it'll play Dreamcast games. So which one is better? Does that mean the Pi is better? 
it depends on what your definition of better is, to be honest. Uh, will the Raspberry Pi emulate more systems? Yes. But does it do it accurately? Does every... I mean, if you look at the arcade stuff, the Raspberry Pi will run a older build of MAME, and this old ROM set is on there. Uh, and I've played Donkey Kong on it, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, I, either there's some of the sounds are missing or, or whatever. So the Mister has a core of Donkey Kong. I played it, and it all almost brought me to tears. It's so beautiful. It is literally the arcade core. There's nothing closer except if you have a Donkey Kong cabinet, and even that with the Mister, I think should be identical. Uh, I should mention real quick that there are, you know, in each of these cores, they have little configuration things and all of them have the ability to add scan lines. If you want to add scan lines. So some, when I played the Donkey Kong core, you know, it's almost too crisp on this new HDMI television. So I added some scan lines, um, and man, does it look good. And I, I played it with the PlayStation analog controller, you know, and, um, I just had a really good time. So, for the things that the Mister does, it's going to do them more accurate and more authentic than a Raspberry Pi. But a Raspberry Pi doesn't care about authenticity. I mean, they do, but that's not at its core, right? Like they put out a, a Nintendo emulator and said, or a Nintendo 64 emulator, and it's like, okay, well, it runs, you know, seven games. And now, of course, it runs a lot more, but, you know, these games might be messed up or these games might not have sound or, or whatever. You know, I'm sure you've seen that in MAME. If you've played MAME long enough, you've loaded up a game and it's like, warning, there are issues with this <laughs> this game, you know. It doesn't have sound or it doesn't play right or whatever. So the Mister isn't like that. The Mister is trying to get everything to be 100% accurate. So it's difficult to compare these two things because they have two different goals. You know, the Raspberry Pi, Retro Pi, all that stuff is is doing one thing. The Mister's goal is accuracy, you know? So uh, there are some things that I like about uh, the Mister. Uh, I mean, well, that that's underselling. There's a lot of things I like about the Mister. Um, the menus on the cores are all very similar. And there's not very many options. So uh, it could be overwhelming. You know, I just got into Amiga emulation last year uh, after stepping away for many years. And the, uh, uh, you know, some of the Amiga, the Amiga emulator I'm using has a thousand options, you know, and right off the bat, it's like, how much fast RAM do you want? What processor do you want? What boot ROM do you want? What, you know, I don't, I don't know all those things, you know, and so it's take, it takes a lot of, uh, it's easier on the systems that you already know, right? Like when I go into the Commodore 64 and I go, oh, I know the disk commands for this, but do I know any commands for a, a PDP-1? No. Or a Auric, which I'm looking at, or Oreo or Sam Coop. I don't know how to do those things, you know? So um, I don't know. It, it just, uh, I do like how the Mr. The Core's seem to be more uniform. It's not like different developers have made uh, different emulators and, and they all have different menus and they all have different things or whatever. So I, so I do like that. I do like that. Um, 
there doesn't seem to be as many options. You hit F12 and you, and you get basically two little screens of options. I mean, there might be 10 or 20 things to, to fiddle with, but there's not as much to get into. So they just kind of work, you know. So I really do um, like the Mister. And then, um, you know, the other thing is, as as you know, I've been streaming on, on Twitch and, and uh, uh, the Mister has HDMI out. And so I bought a... $20 HDMI capture card. And I was able to run the video from the mister straight out of that, right into this capture card and, and, uh, have it show up in OBS and, and be able to stream and stuff. And it just looks as good as it could possibly look, you know, it's really good. So, um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things that I like about it, but I guess, and there, and there's one more topic I want to get into, but I guess what I would say is that, there's really no system that's perfect. You know, I mean, if you're playing on your PC, you could say, oh, well, it does all this and this, but, you know, oh, I don't like how it does this. <laughs> that was a very generic uh, uh, sentence, you know, but you look at the Raspberry Pi and you go, oh, well, it plays more, but it may not all be accurate. Or the Mister, which is super accurate, but it doesn't play as many different systems. So uh, I don't know that there's one answer for everything. And, um, you know, when you get to my age, you've been doing this so long that, that there's so many different things. I mean, again, going back to the Commodore, there's all these different ways of playing Commodore ROMs and all of them offer something that the other ones don't offer, but all of them also don't offer <laughs> or are missing features that other ones do offer, you know? So, uh, I mean, I, I do recommend the mister, uh, but, I'd hate to recommend it to someone that hasn't really ventured into emulation and doesn't know, because if you go, you know, to somebody, maybe somebody who's younger who didn't grow up with the NES and they say, man, all I want to do is play NES games. Well, I'd, I'd download an NES emulator on the computer and I'd play a lot of games that way, or I'd get a Raspberry Pi set up for, you know, a fraction of the cost. Um, and if you're, you know, you're the type of person where you go, well, I need this to be cycle perfect. <laughs> or I need this, to, you know, it doesn't feel right or whatever. Well, then the Mr. might be for you, you know? And, um, uh, I mean, I do love it. I have, you know, I have, I have Apple II emulators on my PC and I just haven't gone into stuff lately, but, uh, there's something about the Mr. And maybe it's your brain trying to justify the cost, but, um, uh, there is something that makes you want to dig into these libraries and start going back and looking into these games. So I, I'm definitely enjoying it. Uh, and I'm hoping that it's something that doesn't, uh, uh, you know, I get bored with or starts collecting dust or whatever. I, and I don't think I will not for a long time, but the last thing I wanted to talk about is the placebo effect. And, and I know personally that I am susceptible to this. Um, there was a, um, uh, a friend of mine a long time ago uh, was doing some music production and sent me a bunch of tracks because I had some software uh, that would uh, master the tracks. And I obviously, you know, not um, uh, like a professional level, but it, it did, you know, it, it boosted the highs and the lows and, and um, uh, it made it sound better, you know. And so I ran his tracks through the uh, – uh, software and I sent him back the tracks and he sent me an email saying, uh, you know, Oh, they sounded great. You couldn't thank me enough. And the difference was so stark or whatever. And eventually, and eventually I, I looked 
and I had accidentally sent him back his original tracks. I hadn't sent back the mastered ones, but his brain was just expecting something so much different that when he listened to it himself, he thought it sounded great, you know? And so when I played Donkey Kong on the Mr., I thought it looked fantastic, you know, but then, and I went back and looked at my PC and I thought, you know, the Mr., I think it looks better. I think it looks better than Donkey Kong looks on my computer playing MAME, you know, but part of me, I'm almost like, I'm wondering if I'm not tricking myself because it does feel like the games look better. I played, um, uh, gosh, is it Blazing Lasers or Blazing Star um, on uh, Neo Geo? I got to look it up. Uh, it is a blazing star. It's a, a game that I used to have when I had all my arcade cabinets. I had a Neo Geo cabinet and I had blazing star was one of the cartridges I had. And I threw that up on the Neo Geo or the Neo Geo emulator uh, on uh, the Mister, And man, does it look good. I mean, it's it's so crisp and uh, the scrolling looks so good. And then I'm thinking like, I wonder if I pull this up in MAME, does it look the same? Does it look worse? Would I be able to tell? I almost part of me wants to do a a blind test and see if I could tell the difference between the two, but the other part of me doesn't want to do that. I kind of just want to go on believing that the Mister uh, looks better, but uh, that's the way I feel right now. I feel like it does. I just have this little sinking feeling that maybe my mind's playing a little trick on me, uh, and that um, I'm, I'm not. Maybe I'm getting better emulation or simulation or maybe it's my brain but even if it is my brain then three hundred dollars is worth it (laughs) so yeah to wrap it all up i gotta say that uh i have been super impressed with the mister uh everything that i've i've worked on you know i would say that each core takes a little bit of learning uh they're not all identical so you know it took me a little bit to get the apple II joystick working and then i went to the c16 one it took me a little while to get those roms working then i went to the neo geo it took me a little while to get those working so um i would say that that each one it's not just a plug and play solution uh you know once you've got it set up on your desk and hooked up to a monitor or anything you're going to spend a little time with each one getting all your ROM set up and, and getting things configured the way that you like. Um, but that being said, I really do enjoy it. I think it's opening a, uh, I don't know, it's a new feeling, I guess. Um, and even something that I, I didn't explore. I, I should mention, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. <laughs> so pretend like go, go back over an hour and, and pretend like I mentioned this at the very first thing. But um, one of the things about the mist was that it was kind of difficult to put more than one core on the same SD card. And so the recommendation uh, with the original Mist was that you use a different SD card for each different core. So I had one SD card for my Amiga and one for the Atari ST and one for the Atari 2600 and so on and so forth. And I had a a little box that almost looked like a teeny tiny little disc box, like the old school disc boxes that had all these little SD cards that I had written on them what they were. And, and so if you wanted to switch to a different one, you turn the unit off, I would swap out SD cards, turn it on, it would flash. Uh, and then and then um, you could play that core. But the Mister isn't designed that way. The Mister is designed for you to have everything on one SD card. And it's so much more convenient. Uh, you just go, you know, when you turn it on, it goes right into the menu and you pick whatever core you want to go into and it flashes it immediately and off you go. And um, 
you know, from inside those cores, you can flash other cores or you could go back to the main menu, whichever way you like to do it. But, uh, you know, just that part of it, of just feeling like you're exploring these machines or whatever, I'm really addicted to it right now. And uh, uh, I'm always looking for things that will reinvigorate my interest in gaming. When you've been around the block a few times, like it's hard to get excited about playing the same Genesis games that you played 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And so um, that uh, uh, part of it, I'm really enjoying on the mister. So, everything uh, that I have to say about the mister. If you have additional questions about the mister, uh, I would love you to send them to me either through uh, email or Twitter. Um, you know, you can always email me at Rob O'Hara at Rob You can find me over on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at Commodore or leave a message on the podcast hotline which is 405-486-YDKF. So if you have more questions about the mister, get a hold of me in one of those places, uh, and uh, I will do my best to follow up on an additional, uh, probably on the next episode of You Don't Know Flat. And uh, you know, if you have questions that I don't know, I'll try them out, and uh, we'll see if they work. So uh, thank you for listening to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. I always appreciate uh, everyone who listens, everyone who sends feedback. And, of course, all my Patreon supporters. If you want to support the show, go over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. You can find out what that's all about. Uh, If you're not interested in Patreon, the other ways to support include uh, sharing links to the shows on social media. And, of course, likes and reviews on the website formerly known as iTunes. whatever it's called now. So I thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I hope uh, that uh, you got some information out of this. And now I'm going to go do some streaming with my mister. So take care, everybody. And I will talk to you on the next episode of You Don't Know Flat.